All of us come this morning with a box labeled church. All of us come this morning with a box labeled church. What does that mean? It means that all of us bring our unique experiences and perspectives when it comes to that topic of church. For some people, if you were to look in their box, you would see very little. Church simply isn't important for those people, or they just, and or they just have very little experience with church. But others come with a full box. Many of you have come this morning with a full box. But we should ask, full of what? What we need most in that box is what God has revealed about church. Do you agree with that? What we need most in that box is what God has revealed about this topic. Thus, we need as much Bible in that box as we can get. But inevitably, this is true for every single one of us, your box will also contain other things. Good and bad experiences with church or a particular church. Misinformation, misconceptions, cultural caricatures of church, traditions, preferences, etc. Now, in some cases, certain experiences or traditions that you find in your box, they beautifully complement what the Word of God teaches. They beautifully complement what is biblical in your box. But at other times, these other things that we find in our box actually distort our understanding of church. Now, if all of us have boxes like this, the question I believe God would have you ask yourself this morning is this. Just... How biblical is my church box? Just how biblical is my church box? Or to put it another way, how much of my conception of feelings about and commitment to church are shaped by things other than Scripture? Let's bring that question to Scripture. Authoritative Scripture this morning as we look together Acts chapter 2. Remember, what we're hearing here, yes, these are the words of a man writing almost 2,000 years ago, but we believe by faith for very good reasons that God spoke through that man and many other men as he brought us this word, not only uttered, not only inspired, but preserved for the centuries For us, speaking English in Buckeye, Arizona, of all places. Here we are, hearing the Word of God. Are you ready to hear the Word of God this morning? God's to speak to you? Well, look, if you would, at verses 37 through 42. Now, before we look at those verses, let me set the scene for you. Context, 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 right? When we're studying the Word. So, the once fisherman, now apostle, Peter is just finishing up for he's just finishing up with what is for all intents and purposes the very first evangelistic message or sermon uh, preached in the uh, of the Christian preached in the Christian church of the Christian church Jesus at this time had been crucified 
He had been raised to life and he had been exalted to the Father's right hand in heaven. As the writer makes clear here earlier on in the chapter, Peter is speaking to Jews who have come from all over the Roman world. They have come for the Feast of Pentecost, celebrated Penta 50, 50 days after the Passover. Now you remember that Passover was the Passover that Jesus had that last meal, that last supper with his disciples just hours before he was crucified the next morning. So 50 days later, here is Peter standing up to preach Jesus. Now, we know that they've come from all over the Roman world, but we also know that many of those who are listening to these words had in fact been present for the rejection of, the execution of Jesus himself. What has Peter revealed to them here in Acts chapter 2 in his message? That Jesus was indeed the Messiah of God. The Son of David. The chosen promise deliverer. And what have His people done? They've rejected Him. They killed Him. Now, keep that in mind and look at their reaction in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, turn, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He, Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Now, the first thing that I want you to see here is the progression of God's work among them. Do you see that? The progression of God's work among the individuals who are described here in Acts chapter 2. Here's what I mean. Take a look at uh, over here on the screen. Or online, take a look. Here's the progression. Called, connected, committed. Called, connected, committed. Now, that order is extremely important. We'll we'll talk about why in just a, a little bit. But in order to think more carefully, for you to think more carefully about what's in your church box this morning... That box that you have brought, labeled church, with your experiences, good and bad, with your preferences, with the traditions, the things you're used to, what you saw your grandma doing, right? That church that you went to that was not friendly to you, the way you celebrate Christmas and Easter. You can go right down the list. When you bring that box, we are now bringing the Word of God and giving you a flashlight and giving you a magnifying glass So you can examine what is in that box. 
Let's do that by going back over these verses and look at each of those three points individually. Called, connected, and committed. Sound good? So let's start with verses 37 through 40. There we read about that huge number of Peter's listeners that they were called. Number one, called. Why am I using that term, called? Well, because Peter uses it, doesn't he? It's right there at the end of verse 40. Do you see it? He reminds them that God's forgiveness through Jesus, God's forgiveness through the Messiah, and the gift of the Spirit through Jesus were both, both of these were not only promised in the Old Testament, but that this promise is for everyone whom God is calling to himself. If we had time, we'd go back into the Old Testament and we would look at those amazing verses that describe how God would pour out his Spirit, how God would give his Spirit. We would hear about the priestly work of the Messiah in Isaiah 53 and how he would atone for, how he would carry the burdens, the sins of the people. He would bear those and he would make satisfaction. He would take the wrath of God upon himself and set us free because he stood in our place. But we also know that God would call many. He would not only call uh, those who were his children, he would call from far off those who were not of the Hebrews, of the nations. So that's what we see here. That's what Peter is emphasizing. Now, how how can we know that God was in fact calling these people to himself? Well, because of their response. Do you see it? Look at their response to the bad news. And the good news about Jesus. Yeah, there's bad news related to Jesus. But it's really related to us, isn't it? It's bad news about our condition. About our trajectory. About our destiny. So the bad news and the good news about Jesus. Look at their response. Verse 37. They were cut to the heart. One of the most powerful images in scripture. Cut to the hearts. That means they were convicted of their sin and they were humbled by the truth that Peter had announced. And their question there at the end of verse 37 makes it clear that they are now ready to do whatever God wants them to do. They're ready. That's why they're asking Peter, what do we do? What do we, do? we know we're in, a, we're in a terrible spot here. What do we do? For those who had not responded in this way, Peter, as you see here, continues to implore them in light of the mercy of God. Mercy now poured out so abundantly through Jesus. Look at verse 40. Save yourselves from this crooked, this twisted generation. That is, reach out and receive the saving grace of God. That's what Peter is pleading with them to do. So how many did God call to himself here in Acts chapter 2? At that Pentecost festival so long ago. Look at verse 41. Tells us about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. I also love how verse 41 describes their response to God's calling through Peter's message. What does it say about their faith? It puts it this way. They received the word. Don't you love that? They received the word. You can just imagine those open arms, right? Their arms are open wide and they have received this gift that God has given through Peter. They've received the word. So Acts 2 may contain, it does, the story of Peter's preaching on Pentecost. Lots of Ps. Peter's preaching on Pentecost. But do you see your own story here as well? 
Are there hints of it in this passage? Your story? Has God called you to Himself? Have you been cut to the heart by His Word? Have you received that Word about Jesus? These are the questions God wants you to ask this morning. Because these are the most important questions that any human being can ask. If you've asked and if you have received the Word, then look at what what else verse 41 reveals here. Verse 41 reveals how this same group was also, number two, connected. Connected. Look again at verse 41 as a whole. So those who received His Word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now what exactly is Luke? He's the writer. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and he also wrote this Acts as a companion uh, account. What has Luke, what is Luke telling us here? What does he mean when he says these people, all 3,000 of them, were added? Added to what? Added by whom? Well, there's actually another verse, just a few verses down, in this same passage that helps us with these questions. Look at verse 47. Look what it says in verse 47. We read, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow! There's, there's the answer right there that we were asking of those questions. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So Luke means that, that God was... God was the one adding, and He was adding to their number. Now, as a sidebar, two other places in the book of Acts, it actually says that He was adding them to the Lord, which I think goes hand in hand with this. They they dovetail so beautifully. We are added into Christ by God's grace. We are in Him, in Jesus, in we are in Christ, as Paul likes to say. But in doing so, we're in the body, aren't we? We're part of His body. So we're added in that way. So God was not only calling individuals to Himself here. He was also connecting them to one another. Now, I don't know if you get this, but that what I just said is a, is a revolutionary statement. It really is. Let me say it again. God in Acts 2 is not only calling individuals to Himself, He's also connecting them to one another. The astounding work of God here brings not only spiritual liberty, but also spiritual community. If you go to Acts 2 with this evangelistic mindset and say, wow, Peter is proclaiming the Word and people are getting saved they're, they're being one to Christ. I'm trying to think of all the phrases we use. They're being delivered from their sins. They're being forgiven. They're being restored. You would only be talking about kind of half of the equation here. Because the other powerful work that God is doing through that redemption is connecting them together, these individuals. There is new life from God for each individual, but also new life with one another. I don't want you to miss how important that is here. It's highlighted so clearly here. 
I think Paul described this same reality when he wrote this. Take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Don't you love that? Just like Acts 2, Paul is talking here about the spirit. He's talking here about baptism. And he's talking here about one body. You know, one community of people. Now, in Acts 2, we're kind of above looking at the, what's happening, you know, in the actual event. Paul is describing the spiritual reality. If we were to pull back the veil, we could see the work of God and actually bringing us not only into right relationship with God, not only right relationship with God through Christ, but also through the Spirit in connection through Christ with one another. Powerful. When John the Baptist said that Christ would come, one coming after him would baptize with the Holy Spirit, this is what he's talking about. This baptism of the Holy Spirit that brings the full power of the finished work of Jesus into our life. Taking out that debt that we owe to God and filling us with the riches of Christ and His righteousness, His perfection given to you that you might be right with God. That you might stand before Him justified, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, pure, spotless. Is my heart pure and spotless? No. But guess what? God is working on it. God is working on you if you've trusted in Christ. But that spirit baptism is also bringing us into connection with one another. As Ephesians chapter 1 says, we are His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Wow, that's exalted language about the church. We're getting a taste of that right here. Notice how Paul, though, helps us understand that this connection was more than just a new social context. It was, in fact, a brand new spiritual reality. And so if these 3,000 individuals responded to Peter's words with repentance and faith expressed in baptism, how did they respond to this reality of being added, this spiritual reality of being added, added to the community of those who have trusted in Jesus Christ? Well, we find that answer to that question about their response in verse 42. We read there that this huge group of new disciples, new followers, new students of Jesus was also, number three, committed. Luke doesn't use the word committed, does he? It's a C, so I had to kind of, you know, work with it. You know, I love my alliteration. <laughs> so, it's a C. What is he? What's the word he uses here? Verse 42? Devoted. Yeah, devoted. Look at what he tells us. And they, in response to the work of God in them through the Spirit, being added to the community of faith, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, remember what I said a moment ago. God was not only calling individuals to himself here, he was also connecting them to one another. And it seems pretty clear that these individuals recognized both of those realities. They got it. They understood it. In fact... In this passage, we see that their new devotion to Jesus is not only expressed in the waters of baptism, it's also on display here 
in their devotion to these four community practices that Luke describes. He outlines for us. Notice the definite articles. The apostles' teaching. The fellowship. The breaking of bread. The prayers. So as those whom God called and connected, there is a commitment here to God's word. There is a commitment here to one another in fellowship. There is a commitment here to the Lord's table. There is a commitment here to praying together. Called, connected, committed. Do you see that? The progression that I talked about? Now, now think with me for a moment. How does all of this relate to the topic of church? It's not hard. It's not hard to connect the dots, is it? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty clear here. Did you know this? Here's something interesting and significant. Did you know that the Greek word that we translate in our English Bible church in the original language is the word ekklesia? And ecclesia comes from a root word, kaleo, which means to call. Did you see call in this passage? It's right there at the end of verse 40. Remember? These are those whom God called to himself. The Lord our God called to himself. So ecclesia, the church, literally means those who are called out. That's this group right here, isn't it? These are those who were called out. So even the word, though the word church is not mentioned right here in this passage, I don't think in Acts it actually appears till the fifth chapter. But even though the word is not here, we know the reality is. It's described powerfully here. So the church is a group of people that God has called to himself from out of the world. A group that he has connected through his spirit. A group then committed to God, committed to his word. A group committed to one another in a radically new community. And if we were to continue reading through the rest of Acts chapter 2, there's not that much left. We would see just how radical that community really was. There's a lot here. There's a lot in this passage that should challenge you, should challenge me to carefully examine what's in my box, what's in your box. To look at those experiences and traditions and preferences, the way church was modeled for you, the cultural caricatures out there that whether we don't agree, even if we don't agree with them, we always respond in some way to them. Sometimes knee-jerk reactions that don't help the church, in, in fact, at all. But these are the things in our box that we go back and look at. God has equipped us to do that, to look what's in our box. To not only challenge our conception of church, but also its place in our lives. In light of these things, my question to you this morning is simply this. Answer this with all honesty. Have you been added? Have you been added? You might say, well, I've been called, Pastor. (laughs) That's wonderful. That's awesome. But if you're called, you're connected. Right? If you're called, you're connected. 
It doesn't work any other way. If you're called, you're connected. Others might say, well, I've been called and connected. Yeah, I have brothers and sisters all over the world. It's wonderful. Hmm. But if you've been called and connected, then you should also be committed. Right? You should also be committed, not in some vague, generic, or only universal kind of way. I'm committed to the people of God out there doing their things right now, right? All my people in my chat group online, you know, all my people of God. No, 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 no. We should not be committed. (laughs) We should be committed in that way. That's a good thing. But we should be committed in the way these first Christians were committed as we see in the authoritative word of God. They were committed to this community and these community practices together. They were, in fact, they were devoted to these things. Think about that word, devoted. And ask yourself, have I been added? And then secondly, am I devoted in light of being added? Am I devoted Is that the word that describes my relationship with the people of God? My fellow followers of Jesus Christ? Devoted? God is asking you and me this morning, is this you? What we've looked at together from God's word. Is this you? Is this us? Could these words be written about our lives? That should be the case. It really should be. It should be the case. The way these realities here are intertwined in this passage, this is not unique to this passage. In fact, we find the same progression and connection all throughout the New Testament. To be called is to be connected. And to be connected is to be committed. So I ask you again, have you been added If you have, then are you living as one who was added by God himself? Are you living as one who was added in a way that lines up with God's word? Remember that box, right? Church, remember that box? Some people say, well, I'm devoted to the church. But what they're devoted to does not line up with God's word. It's an institution. It's an it's an organization. It's lots of busyness of things going on. It's a social hub in the community, which is all wonderful. But if this is not happening, if this reality, this spiritual reality is not being lived out, it doesn't matter how the church is connected in the community, whether it's a hub or not. It doesn't matter how, how many levels of hierarchy there are in this sacred institution. It doesn't, it doesn't matter the venerable history of this or that congregation. None of that matters. It only matters if we have been added to the body of Christ and our commitment, our living out actually lines up with God's word. Or are there things, if you're honest, things in your box that are tripping you up, that are tempting you to compromise when it comes to this teaching to rationalize, to justify? As we begin a new chapter together, our hope at Way of Grace is to be a church with a whole lot of Bible in our boxes. Amen? We want to be this kind of church. 
whole lot of Bible in our boxes. And if that's the case, and becoming the case more and more, then what will that look like among us? Well, let me give you some ideas here. I'm just going to shoot these out to you. We're going to explore these in the coming weeks, talk more and more about them. We're going to explore them by trying to live them out together in light of God's Word and by His grace. Let me talk about these. Here's some ideas. Number one, we will begin with the gospel. That's where this passage starts. That's what we've looked at. The whole preamble to our passage this morning was gospel, gospel, gospel. Gospel is an English word that actually represents a Greek word that means good news. Euangelion. Good news, right? Euangelion, evangelist. Evangelism, that's where that word comes from, from the Greek. So good news. What is this good news? Well, this good news is about Christ. We know there is no commitment to community apart from true spiritual connection. And there is no true spiritual connection apart from being called by God. Those are the threads of of Scripture. So that progression, that order matters. We don't get involved with a church in order to be connected to others in the hope of meeting God. Now, some people might describe their experience in church that way. Well, I just got pulled into this church and got to know a lot of wonderful people and they they told me about Christ and and I I found new life in Him. Okay, well, that's good anecdotally, right? But that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about the spiritual order of these realities. That's why I said this order matters. No, we meet God through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and raised from the dead, which then leads to real connection with God's people through the Spirit and a desire and power in our lives to live as those committed to life together. Called, connected, committed. So the gospel here at Way of Grace must always be central in all that we do. You may come from a tradition that says, well, the gospel is is the doorway into life with Christ, right? You receive the good news, you maybe come up front, you pray, you raise your hand, you do something, right? It's the doorway in. But the Word of God says, not only is it the doorway in, it's the path on which we walk every single day. We stand in the gospel, right? This gospel in which you stand, says Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Are you standing in the gospel? We want to as a church. It's got to be first. Number two, we will enjoy a time of shared worship. We go on to read here in verse 46 of chapter 2, if you take a look. These Jewish Christians were doing what together? They were still attending the temple together. And they went up to the temple to be able to worship God. And they did that together now in light of the Messiah, Jesus. So we go on to read in the rest of the New Testament that the church came together every Sunday for worship and encouragement. We want to do that very same thing. We want to guard and we want to give great honor to this Lord's Day and our gathering with God's people. Our spiritual ancestors have been doing this for 2,000 years. Every Lord's Day, every Sunday, gathering to worship God through Jesus Christ. 
We want to do the same, a time of shared worship, just like we're doing here. Number three, we will connect in and through life groups. Notice what else we read in verse 46 of this same chapter. These new disciples, the 3,000 plus the 120 that the chapter started with coming out of uh, chapter 1, the 3,120 disciples of Jesus in Jerusalem, it says here that they were also meeting together in homes. Also meeting together in homes. We believe that these smaller contexts like these, uh, smaller contexts like these ones are, are needed just as much today as they were then. Why were they not simply just going to the temple courts together? Why were they also getting together from house to house in these homes? Because there was something critical about that context. This is why we will also meet in smaller life groups every Sunday, including today, since we believe that being the church requires vital connection with other followers of Jesus. I can't stress that word vital enough. You can be connected in some way, acquaintance-wise, socially, with other Christians, but to be vitally connected to them. You can't do that just sitting here looking at me on Sunday morning, right? Just receiving, and it's good that you receive, right? But this this is not a lecture hall. I'm not your professor, right? This is not a, this is not gamage. You're not seeing something here that you paid for. This is not a grocery store. You're not coming to get some kind of spiritual commodity from me, right? And you put, a, you put your tithe or whatever in the offering box and think, oh, I've, I've made the transaction. No, 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 no. That's not what's happening here. This is the family of God meeting together. And so you need more than this. You need to be with one another and talk about what's going on and talk about what you heard and interact with each other. Now, we could probably do that all day today if we wanted to, but we're not going to take that long. So we really have a launching off point, a chance to have kind of a launching off point, a get acquainted and get familiar with each other opportunity right after this in life groups. Number four, we will live for Jesus in our every day. We will not be Sunday only Christians. Right? We will not simply go and, and do this transaction and say, the box is checked. Right? I've done my spiritual due diligence for the week. I've got my batteries recharged. Right? I'm going to be able to survive whatever's coming my way this week. And I do hope your spiritual batteries are recharged, but I hope they're recharged so that you can be the energizer bunny. Right, Miss Margie? You can be the energizer bunny for Jesus wherever He has placed you. He's put you in people's lives. He's put you in each other's lives. He calls you to share the word. He calls you to practice hospitality. He calls you to all of these things. You see, what we do here sets our trajectory for the rest of the week. If you're exalting and worshiping Jesus Christ here, you better be doing that the rest of the week. You really should. Because if you're not, it says something about what's happening here. Makes it a little suspicious what you're doing here if you're not propelled into your life by the exaltation of Jesus. Jesus first. So we will live for Jesus in our everyday. Our life for Jesus and with one another shouldn't be confined to Sunday morning, right? 
We want to serve Him. We want to share Him, supported by one another in every place God has placed us. With everyone He's put in our own unique circles. And number five, we will listen together through our Bible reading plan. So as we serve and share God through Jesus, we also want to seek Him every day. That early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. What were they teaching? What Jesus taught them. What was Jesus teaching? What the Old Testament had revealed, the fulfillment of it. And that apostles' teaching was not simply taking what Jesus had declared with his lips. It was also taking the authority that he had given them and going into the world and expanding and revealing more of the revelation of God. Thus we have these New Testament letters. We have things like the revelation of Jesus through John. You know, amazing that God has revealed these things to us. And so as we serve and we share God through Jesus, we also want to seek Him every day. And we want to do that together by reading through the New Testament together over the next 12 months. One chapter every day, five days a week. Saturday, review what you've looked at. I keep a little notebook one of those big spiral ones, you know, a five, five, uh, five subject folder. I do that and every day I write what I'm reading, prayers, thoughts, ideas. And then on Saturday, I go back, look at what I've starred and underlined or circled and try to hold on to what God's showing me there and then trying to encourage others with what he's encur- how he's encouraged me. That's one way to do it. But we're doing this together. And then every Sunday, what I'll do is I will get up here and I will teach from one of the passages that you just read that previous week. I'll expand on it. I'll be with you on that journey saying, we're going together. And so I've read, like for example this week, I've read Mark chapters 1 through 5 with you. And I'm going to preach from Mark chapters 1 through 5. I can't preach the whole thing, but I'm going to draw in some ideas and really zone in, kind of focus in on one particular area. And and then what we're going to do after that is get in life groups and talk about that. Talk about what we read. Talk about what we heard up there. It's real simple, isn't it? It's just being God's people together and listening to Him and allowing Him to work in us and through us, not only for our blessing, but for the blessing of those around us. Amen? Amen. Brothers and sisters, the church is not a building. The church is not a worship service at a particular time on Sunday morning. The church is not a social organization. The church is a people. The people of God. A family of faith. While this church, our church, may not look exactly like the church church here in Acts chapter 2... Our hope is to faithfully reflect the values and priorities of our spiritual ancestors here. We want to do that. Will you join us on that journey, brothers and sisters, friends? Will you join us on that journey? I like what the writer Colin Hansen recently wrote. I saw this about two weeks ago. I love this. He said, when I talk with new church members, he's not a pastor. He's just, I don't know if he's an elder at his church, but he's just active at his church. When I talk with new church members, I make a big promise. And so far, no one has ever returned to complain that I misled them. I promise that if they show up consistently in our church, 
in our church, that means corporate worship on Sunday and home group on Wednesday. For us, that would be shared worship and life groups on Sunday morning. If they show, if they show up consistently and seek to care for others, they will get everything they want out of the church. They, that could be spiritual growth, he says, friendships, biblical knowledge, or practical help. They will get whatever they want from the church by fulfilling just those two simple tasks. What were they? They were show up consistently and seek to care for others. That's it. I'm going to make that same promise to you this morning. If you do that, you will get everything that you're looking for out of church. If you are called, you are connected. And if you are connected, brother, sister, be committed. Be committed. Let's ask God to help us in these ways. The only, the only help that we, we, we need and that we, that, that, that's true help is from Him. So let's ask Him for it.